Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. What have we been talking about? Anybody want to take a stab? Authority, that's right. The authority of the believer. Uh, We're going to continue in that this morning, but before we get into that, I want to take about three or four minutes to talk to you a little bit about last week. We had a great time. Who was here last week? Did you enjoy yourself? I'm always a little nervous when I have my dad here. I never know what he's going to do. And uh, I'm always nervous that that he's going to show me up and make me look bad, so... No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Now, we had a great time. Uh, I really enjoyed the dialogue, and I really enjoyed the format of the service. I think it was a really good time. And we got to minister to people at the end, and I don't see any of the people that we ministered to here this morning, but uh, we got some... (laughs) Apparently, they feel so great they didn't want to come back, so... No, we had a gentleman that got healed in his ankles. Uh, I talked with him this week. Um, I talked with April. April is here. She's downstairs with the kids. She was telling me before she left, she said, this carpal tunnel in my wrist is just constantly improving. She said, it just keeps getting better and better. Um, We prayed for a brother named Dan last week who was up here that had shared that one of the reasons he came forward for prayer was because he needed some healing in his body, but he also needed some healing and, and restoration in relationships with his boys. Um, I found out my dad saw him the next day at, uh, at Publix, and he said, you know, 5 o'clock that evening, Sunday, I got a call from my son, and we started to mend our relationship. And so, you know, God is in the miracle working business. Amen. He's not done fixing people. He's not done meeting people exactly where they are. And just because things don't always fit our mold doesn't mean it's not God. Sean alluded to the idea with uh, Elijah and the woman, the widow woman. I mean, how backwards would that seem? Put yourself in the widow woman's position. How backwards would it seem? For, the, for a prophet to show up at your door and say, hey, take that last bit of food you got and give it to me. God doesn't always fit our routines. Matter of fact, most of the time when it's something that is truly authentically spiritual and truly authentically God, it won't make sense to our mind. Amen. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the the ministry time that we had at the end. I've had several people reach out to me and ask me about spiritual gifts this week. Because we were ministering and we were praying in other tongues, I've had several people ask, what's that all about? And normally, I'm real diligent about stopping in the middle of that when when it's happening to, to go to 1 Corinthians and just point out quickly what's going on in the service. But because it was my dad and because he was flowing, I didn't want to get in the way of that. So let me say real quickly, I want to point out uh, 1 Corinthians 14, and I really want to do this in about three or four minutes because I've got to continue talking about authority this morning. But there have been a lot of questions about tongues this week that have come out, so I just want to clear up any confusion that we might have. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 The first few verses are amazing. It says, verse 1, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. 
I was talking to my wife about this this week, and the first two words of that verse are so critically important to us understanding spiritual gifts. doesn't seem like it would, but these two ver- words are incredibly important. Pursue love. Pursue love. You know, there's questions about, well, when should we speak in tongues? Uh, do we have to interpret it every time we speak in tongues when we're around people? Is it a prayer language? Is it a spiritual gift? What are the mechanics of it? Let me tell you that if you could have the mechanics perfectly scripturally accurate, but if you are not pursuing love in ministering a gift, you are a clanging symbol, Paul says in the previous chapter. If we divorce love, love for each other, love for the body of Christ, and love for God, if we divorce that from any spiritual activity, any spiritual gift, then the gift is worthless in that scenario. Amen? So part of, part of why we operate in spiritual gifts is, number one, because it's loving on the people around us to do so. Number two, it's because it is a precious and authentic and beautiful gift that the Lord has given to the church. When the gifts of the Spirit are in operation, whether it's in a church service or in the marketplace, we need to recognize that God is trying to do something, that He's trying to intervene in people's lives. If I give a word of prophecy to you or if you give a word of prophecy to me, we need to understand that that's God speaking into our lives. We need to pay attention. Amen. So there were some questions about praying in tongues. Let's just read through the first few verses and then I'll get on to some other things. I, it's unfortunate that the people that asked me about this are not here today. But <laughs> hopefully we'll have to have some other conversations with them. But that's all right. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he's speaking mysteries. He who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now, uh, look at, look, uh, let's just look at verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by teaching? The argument that I believe Paul is making here, and I believe it's really clearly spelled out in these scriptures, is that when a person is praying in other tongues, they're not talking to one another. If I'm praying in other tongues, I'm not talking to you. Communicating with the Lord, right? Now, there's a difference between that and me standing up as a pastor and addressing the body of Christ, right? There's a difference between me praying and talking to the Lord and me talking to you. Paul's argument here is that if I'm praying to the Lord, I'm speaking mysteries in the Spirit and I'm edifying myself in other tongues. But if I stand up to address you, I better, if, 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 if it comes out in tongues, I better believe God for an interpretation to go with that so that you get edified. Why? Because remember, we're pursuing love. If you and I are operating in some spiritual gift to try to make ourselves look spiritual, that's baloney. That's garbage. Sit down. But 
if I love you enough to speak to you on behalf of what God is putting in my heart and it comes out via a tongue, then I need to pray that there's an interpretation so that everybody can be edified, not just me. There's a difference between that and praying to edify oneself. Oftentimes what happens is when we're ministering, when I'm ministering in healing, I may, I may pray in English, I may pray some in tongues, and I may minister to that person. When that happens, I'm not addressing the whole church. I'm stirring my own heart up so that I can minister adequately to the person that's standing right in front of me. These are very important things for us to understand. Obviously, I can't exhaustively talk about this this morning. 1 Corinthians 14 is full. If you have questions, I would love to answer them for you. Okay, but until then, let's just all press into what God's doing and believe that he knows best. Amen. Amen. I love you this morning. Do you love me too? Thank you. Man, it feels good to be loved. Praise God. All right, let's let's move forward in our series this week. I hope that that was easy to understand. I think it is. Let's move forward in our series this morning on the subject of authority. This would be part three. And I want to just quickly review what we talked about last week and then the past two weeks and then take off further uh, on what we have to share this week. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. This has been our kind of main target scripture. Luke chapter 10. Man, I'm so amped up to preach this morning. I can hardly contain myself. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 10. As you're turning there, let's go ahead and make our confession of faith together. I love doing this. This is one of my favorite parts of the service. I really, I really mean it. Let's look up on the screen if you haven't already memorized this and make this confession together. And let's, let's lean into this and believe what we're saying. Amen? Let's read it together. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you. The ears of my heart hear you. My heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Amen. Do you believe you're growing this morning? I do. Amen. I believe I'm growing. We're all growing together. Glory to God. So let's talk a bit more about this subject of the authority of the believer. Do you know that Jesus has personally invested authority into you? He has given you his authority to use. He's given you his name. He's given you his resource of authority to use in your life. It's an amazing concept. It's unfortunately one that many in the church don't understand. And many in the church, unfortunately, live below this reality. I said to you guys in the first week, it irritates me and it bugs me to no end when I see especially people, but especially Christian people, being abused by the enemy. It bugs the daylights out of me. When I see people who Jesus died for that struggle needlessly with stuff that they don't, whether they realize it or not, they have authority over it. Amen? It bothers me, man. When I see people who are just good saints of God, love Jesus, love, you know, go to church, they're involved in, in the kingdom of God, they're excited, they walk with Jesus, and they're battling some sickness that they can't seem to get victory over. That bugs the daylights out of me, man. 
Why? Because Jesus died to give them authority over the works of the enemy. 1 John says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Destroy. He came. One of the reasons, one of the primary reasons that he came to this earth is to destroy the power of hell over your life so that you and I live free. That's why the Bible says, he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen? So Jesus came to annihilate the works of darkness and, and crush the head of Satan. So why do we tolerate him? Right? Usually it's because of one of two things, fear or ignorance. Either we don't know what belongs to us or we're afraid to actually believe it. Right? So, hence, we started talking about this subject of authority. We looked at several verses. I'm going to read Luke 10 real quick. Verse 17, and we'll read down through verse 19. It says, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Isn't that cool? And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Praise God, I love that. Anybody, anybody ever time a, a lightning bolt? It's pretty fast. Okay, it's pretty quick. How many of you know it didn't take anything for God to kick the devil out of heaven? It was a flick. It was a, you know, we talk about this great battle between good and evil. It, it's not a great battle. It's a snap your fingers and it's done. The devil, listen, how many of you know that darkness doesn't hold a candle to light? Darkness is no match for light. When you walk into your closet, I'm presuming is the darkest place in your house. There's no windows in your closet, I'm assuming. At least not in my wife's closet. I have to have a separate closet because hers is, she's got too many clothes. So yeah, praise God. My closet is in one of my children's bedrooms. Um, but when I walk into my, hey, just real life, hashtag transparent. Um, when I walk into my wife's closet, there are no windows. It's probably the darkest place in our house. And I turn the light on in the closet, there is no tangling up of light and darkness. There's no power struggle. Why? Because there's no struggle between light and darkness. There is no struggle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. It's a one and done, instant, God always beats the devil. Amen? There's no scenario where the devil ends up winning. Amen. He's been defeated. So, real quick... We said three things over the past couple weeks. Well, no, let me finish reading. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, verse 19. In other words, pay attention. Listen up. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's written in red. Jesus said that. Nobody made that up. Jesus made that up. It was his idea to give you some authority. Amen. So number one, we said in review that Jesus gave us authority. We talked about there being a difference between authority and power. We said power's good, authority's better, right? When a police officer pulls you over for going too fast and turns his blue lights on, he's not uh, pointing a gun at you to pull you over. He's not exercising power to pull you over. He's exercising authority, right? There's a badge on his chest that gives him the right to tell us what to do as citizens, right? 
Well, you've been given a badge of authority. It's called your righteousness. You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. I said this earlier in the, in the morning to somebody. The scripture says, The wicked may flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. Think about that. Somebody who doesn't have a relationship with God runs from things that aren't chasing him. Yeah? But somebody who's righteous, bold as a lion. <laughs> Amen? I went to Kenya one time and went on safari and didn't actually see a lion. We were trying to find a lion, so it was really hard. But we did find, we heard that there was a lion over in this certain area. And so as we started to get closer to that area, uh, we could see all the animals standing at attention. There was like zebras over here and there was some giraffes roaming and all of a sudden. And as soon, we knew when we were getting close to the lion because everything around where the lion was was stiff and listening. The wicked may flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. You ought to affect the atmosphere around you with the boldness of Christ Jesus that's on the inside of you. Devils ought to stand at attention when you come around. Amen. We'll say, well, what if they aren't? Well, we'll get to that. Number one, Jesus gave us authority. Number two that we've been talking about is that the devil's defeated. Settle this in your mind once and for all. There is no question here. There's no competition. The devil is defeated. Not going to be. He is defeated. He is defeated. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 says that, that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers and made an open spectacle of them. Listen to it from the Good News translation. I love this. Well, let me, you know what? Let me read it to you here. Look, this is in the King James. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What is it? That's the cross. Now listen to that same verse in the Good News translation. It says, And on that cross, Christ freed himself from the power of the spiritual rulers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them by leading them as captives in his victory procession. Isn't that awesome? He made a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it and leading them as captives in his victory procession. Listen to the Weymouth translation. It says, And the hostile princes and rulers he shook off from himself. I love that. I love that. Did you, anybody ever shake something off? Anybody, you know, you're, you're just walking along and something falls, a leaf falls on your shoulder or something, you just go like this and just shake it off. Ain't no thing. Not a big, grandiose battle. What happens? You just, you just, oh, oh something fell on me. Ooh, get that off. What did Jesus do to the devil when he, when he massacred him at the cross? He shook him off. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You try, what'd, you, what'd you do, try to kill me? Let me raise back from the dead real quick. Let me just dust my shoulder off here. He shook off principalities and powers. And he boldly displayed them as his conquests when he, by the cross, triumphed over them. I like reading in different translations like the Weymouth and the Good News and the Young's Literal. You can go find these things online. They're very easy to access. But it always gives you a cool perspective when you read in a few different translations. 
So the devil's defeated. Number three, we said when you don't see a change immediately, you continue to stand your ground. What happens if I rebuke the devil and nothing seems to happen? Well, you double down, man. You stand your ground. You don't move. You don't go, oh, well, bummer. Guess it didn't work. Remember we said last week, my dad and I were talking, if the, if the, uh, if the police officer is trying to arrest someone and that person's resisting arrest, the cop doesn't go, oh, I guess I'm not a police officer. No, they say, hold still. You're coming with me. Right? See, sometimes you've got to enforce the victory that Jesus paid for. Stand your ground. Now, let's look today at Ephesians chapter 6. I want to drill down into a few things this morning with you. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to talk about practically how to walk in our authority. How many of you would like to know just some practical ways you can walk in the authority that that Jesus gave you? Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 10, but the target that we're trying to get to is verse 12, but we want to give a little bit of context. You doing okay this morning? All right. Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Don't be weak. Be strong. Put on the whole armor of God. Well, real quick, before we get to verse 11. God would not tell you to do something that was not possible for you to do. God would never command you to do something that couldn't be done. If he tells you to be strong, it's because you can. We'll say, well, I don't feel like being strong. He didn't ask. He didn't say, be strong in the Lord when everything's going great and you feel like it. No, he said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You can be strong even when you don't feel strong. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places." Now, he goes on after this to talk about putting on the whole armor of God. And there's some wonderful things that we could talk about in the armor of God, but for the sake of time, we're not going to go there. We may, in a subsequent week, talk about the armor of God. But what I want to focus on today is verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Let me read this to you again from the Good News Translation. Verse 12, For we are not fighting against human beings. How many of you know that's true? We're not fighting against human beings, but against the wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly world, the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers of this dark age. What is he talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of darkness. He's talking about the devil and his cohorts. He's talking about demons, fallen angels. And Paul says real clearly that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. How many of you know when you got a problem with another person, your problem's probably not really with that other person? But there's probably, if you think about it and if you pray about it, 
Heaven forbid we pray about anything anymore. But if you actually pray about it, you'll probably find that there's some manipulation going on somewhere, that the enemy's got his pinky toe into the relationship and is trying to mess something up. How many of you could say that from experience, that that's true? You know, if you have strife with your spouse, you've been walking with your spouse, you've been married for X number of years, and you could just stop and go, hey, you know, for the last six months, we just don't even get along. That's not just natural. That's not just a natural problem. Right? The enemy has gotten in somewhere and is manipulating somebody. One or both parties. I have a mind to say both somewhere. My dad always said it takes two to tango. Right? Can't have an argument with yourself. If you are, there are even greater problems at work. Right? I know, a lovely padded cell that you could... Anyways, um, <clears throat> if, you're, if you're dealing with something like that, using strife as an example, the enemy's gotten in somewhere. And you need to close the door. Shut him down. Take authority. I know there's been times in my wife and my relationship, in our relationships with, with our kids, where the enemy tries to come in and begin to manipulate, and I've got to recognize, hey, I'm not wrestling. My fight is not with my nine-year-old, right? It's with something that the enemy's trying to do in our relationship. What's the point? The point is that the, the reality of this life is that there's a devil, there's a kingdom of darkness, and we're engaged in conflict with him as believers. Now, don't let that scare you because what he says in verse 12 is an incredibly empowering reality. But before we dive into that, you've got to understand, there's a devil and he hates your guts, right? Now, there are, there are, there are people who take this to ridiculous extremes. Matter of fact, there were in Jesus' day. Do you know there was a group in Jesus' day called the Sadducees? Did you ever hear about them? The Pharisees and the Sadducees? The Sadducees, part of their belief system was that they didn't believe in spirits. They did not believe in the power of darkness. They did not believe in anything that they could not see with their eyes. They were humanist in their belief. They didn't believe in a spirit realm. So, of course, when Jesus shows up and starts doing spiritual things, it really puts a kink in their hose. You know what I'm saying? It really just messed them up. Right? But there are people who today would say, no, that's, that's not practical enough for me. A spirit realm, spirit beings, the devil, kingdom of darkness. There are people who think that, that's, that, that I'm crazy for telling you this. And then there are people in the other ditch that find demons in everything. There's a demon in this flower. There's a demon in the cereal box. I've got to take, take authority over the demon in my tire. How many of you know either of those two extremes don't help you out very much? You've got to recognize that, yes, there is a spiritual battle going on or there is a spiritual conflict, rather, that we are engaged in as believers. There is an enemy. He doesn't like you. You remind him of Jesus. Like Kyle said earlier, uh, we, we're made in the image of God. So every time the devil sees you, he thinks of the one you're created after. 
You, he hates your guts because you look like Jesus to him. And so Jesus said in John 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, or destroy. The devil shows up with one of those three intentions. He's trying to mess you up. So you have to realize that that's going on. And you have to not wonder or think that it's strange when you and I begin to make progress in the kingdom of God, when we move forward in our relationship with Jesus, that we get some resistance. Right? Y'all tracking with me so far? I, I see this as a pastor in our church here and in the last 20 20 to 25 years of my life, I've watched this. And I could say with absolute confidence that 95% of the time, I'm giving myself a little bit of wiggle room there, but 95% of the time, when people begin to make progress in the things of God, stuff starts happening in their life. Resistance starts coming. I can't tell you, since we've started this church, how many times I've had somebody come up to me First Sunday here. Hey, Pastor. Oh, man, that was great. Praise God. We love this. Oh, this is awesome. It's a great church. Yeah, we're excited to be here. This is going to be awesome. And then you just never see him again. I can't tell you how many times. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this story because it's not relative to our church. It was my dad's church when I was a kid. He had a lady that had come to him that wanted so badly to run the kids' ministry. And she was like, Pastor, I really feel it strong in my heart. I'm supposed to you know, take up this burden of the kids' ministry. And, and so he finally submitted and said, yeah, okay, fine, that's, that's great. Stood up and they did an announcement and so-and-so is going to be in charge of kids now and you're going to be able to take your kids to, to see her. If you have any questions, see her, yada, yada, yada. We literally never saw that woman again after that Sunday. Never. Every time I see somebody who says, man, I'm, I'm ready to commit to Bible study. I'm going to pray every day. What's the first thing that happens? Day one, they get blocked by something. Oh, pray, praise God, Pastor, I want to be on the volunteer team. I'm ready. Next Sunday is going to be my first Sunday to start. And what happens? Saturday night, somebody starts puking. Saturday night, somebody starts coughing and we get a cold symptom or, or all four tires blow out of my car. I don't know what happened. Don't think it's strange, brethren, Peter said. Don't think it's strange when you encounter some fiery trial. Don't think it weird when you begin to progress in the things of God and you find some resistance. Those are the moments when you have to look at what the scripture says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. When you commit to the things of God, stake your claim in who he said that you are. And when resistance comes, push back. Amen. Can I have a heartier amen than that? Push back when the devil comes against you, man. The Bible says when the, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against him. You've got some authority in your life. Amen. Don't play little stinky, mamby-pamby games with the devil. Put that joker in his place when he gets in your face. We wrestle not against, or excuse me, against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Now, let me break this down in the Greek for just a moment. The key word in this passage is the word wrestle. Wrestle. 
I want you to notice before we go any farther that the very best the devil can do is wrestle. Huh? He's been declawed. Do you ever have a cat that got declawed? He's been declawed. He's got no more teeth. He's got no he's just got bark, no bite. The best he can do is wrestle. Think about that. That's the best he's got. Now, this word wrestle in the Greek is very important. Paul uses this terminology specifically because this was a sport that was so common in the ancient world that everybody that he was writing to would have immediately known what he was talking about. Like if somebody said to you, baseball, you know what he's talking about, right? If they said football, you know what the person's talking about. This, this word that he uses for wrestle here was a common sport that, that gladiators used to do. Remember how they would go to Rome and go to the, the Colosseum? Well, that didn't just happen in Rome. That kind of stuff happened in any of the larger cities in the ancient world. So this was a sport. This wrestling was a sport. It was more intense than Hulk Hogan. WWE. This was a situation where guys' lives were on the line, right? They weren't jumping off the top rope. They were chopping each other's heads off. Okay? But Paul uses this word because everybody would understand it. And it's the word pale. P-A-L-E. It's spelled like pale, but it's pronounced pale in Greek. This is the literal word-for-word definition from the Strong's. Are you ready? This word wrestle means a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other and in which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. Let me read it one more time. A contest between two in which each one endeavors to throw the other and in which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. Now, I drilled into the root word of this, and it's the word which literally means to throw. That idea of throwing each other is is really what we're talking about here. In other words, this means a body slam. Okay? A body slam. When Paul's talking about you and I wrestling with the forces of darkness, he's talking about a body slam wherein we slam him to the carpet and put our hand on his throat and tell him not to get up. This is not a lengthy power struggle. This is you walking in who Jesus called you to be and enforcing the victory that Jesus won over the devil by slamming him into the ground and putting him right back where he belongs. (laughs) this is the posture that you and I take over the enemy I remember hearing a story of a pastor who said well brother I got the devil on the run problem is he's chasing me that's not the posture that you and I are supposed to take that's not the position that we've been granted in Christ Our position is standing over our defeated enemy with our foot on his neck telling him, don't get up again. How many of you would love to just absolutely body slam the devil? 
I mean, if, in the physical. I mean, if you, if you could see him, if you had an opportunity to just see him physically, how, how fun would it be to smash that joker into the ground? I'm coming for you. You know? Well, how many of you know? You can do that. Not physically, but you can do it in the spirit. You can do it with the authority that God invested in you as a child of the living God. My interactions with the devil involve me body slamming him and pinning him to the floor to remind him of where he belongs. I want to make this statement, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write it down, and I want you to really commit this to memory, okay? Living a life of authority in Christ means that I'm not trying to achieve victory over Satan. Rather, I'm constantly enforcing Christ's victory over him. You don't have to beat the devil. Jesus beat him for you. What you and I have the responsibility of doing is keeping him in his place and enforcing the victory that's been granted to us. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. He says things like this, if God be for us, who can be against us? Find me an enemy that stands a chance, in other words. If God's for me, nobody can be against me. Living a life of authority in Christ means that I'm not trying to achieve victory over the devil. Rather, I'm constantly enforcing Christ's victory over him. So, in the last 10 or 12 minutes that we have, how do I learn to live this way? I don't want to just give you spiritual ideas. I want to give you practical application. So how do I learn to live this way? There's two things specifically that I want to look at today, and the next week we'll talk about the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. But today there's two things that I want to talk to us about when it comes to learning to live this lifestyle of authority. The first one is yielding to God and resisting the enemy. And then the second one is putting the word of God in our mouths. But firstly, let's go to James 4. You still doing okay this morning? You got a few more minutes left in you? All right, this is where we get real practical. James chapter 4. Verse 7 is where we want to be, but let's read verse 6 because it's really important to understand. Verse 6 of James chapter 4 says, but he gives more grace. How many of you are thankful that God gives grace? Amen. Supernatural heavenly ability. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if you're going to get to verse 7 and you're going to walk in what verse 7 says, you've got to go through verse 6 first. God resists the proud. Lay your pride down. You've got nothing to bring to this equation, Right? All our righteousness apart from Jesus is filthy rags. I don't bring anything to the table. My authority is only as good as the Jesus that I'm submitted to. God, that's good. You need to write that down. My authority is only as good as the Jesus that I'm submitted to. If I'm trying to do this in my own strength, I'm going to get resisted by God. But if I come to him with humility, he's going to give me grace. And then what's going to happen? Verse 7. Therefore, submit to God... Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There is no wiggle room in that scripture. There's no 
conditional thing. When you resist the devil, he flees from you. He doesn't have a choice. But notice what it says here at the beginning. Therefore, submit to God. The first thing you and I have to learn to do to walk in our authority is be yielded to the Spirit of God. Be yielded to the Word of God. Let the Word change you. Let the Spirit of God change you. Let the Lord direct your life. Oh man, this is so good. I want you to get this because this is so helpful. Let the Lord pilot your life. Let Him lead you. Let him direct you. Let If there's something in your life that needs to be pruned out of it, don't, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be arrogant and think that you've got it all together. Let the Lord lead you. Submit to God. Man, nobody wants to talk about this kind of stuff anymore, but it's so true and it's so needed. You could spend your entire Christian life and you will go to heaven and you'll be, Jesus will love you. Nothing about him will change. But you could go your entire life pig-headedly unsubmitted to God. You know that? Anybody ever thought you knew more than Jesus? Anybody ever got into a situation where like, no, God, I got this. Just sit this one out. I'll take care of it. (laughs) That's not the way we're designed to live. God wants to lead us. So the first thing we need to do in order to walk in our authority effectively is to submit to God. If you look around your life and you realize the devil's not fleeing when you resist him, back up. Wait a minute, am I, am I really truly submitted to the Lord? Are my desires in line with what his plan is for my life? Preacher, I love to listen to named Keith Moore says this. He said, if you're constantly submitting to the enemy in your life, when it comes time to resist him, he's not going to flee from you. If you're constantly yielding to the devil, well, then when it comes time to resist, he, he knows that he doesn't have to leave. Why? Because he's been running you around. He's, he's been the one on the other end of the leash holding you and telling you what to do, and you've been listening. That's why the scripture starts by saying, submit to God. Let the Lord be the one who leads your life. Let let the word have enough authority in it to modify your life as it needs to be. When God tells you to do something, do it. When God tells you not to do something, don't do it. It's it's like super easy, like a five-year-old could get it, right? You need need good theological help to mess this kind of stuff up, right? (laughs) It's so easy. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he flees. If I'm constantly yielding to the enemy, then then I'm not going to get anywhere. So how do I practically walk in my authority? Submit to God and resist the devil. Get comfortable doing these two things. What's the result? He'll flee. Doesn't have a choice. It's like we said that, that illustration I gave a couple weeks ago of Smith Wigglesworth and the lady. Authority. So the only authority he can work with is whatever you give him, whatever you and I submit to him. I don't have time to get into it, but that's exactly how it happened in the Garden of Eden. Man handed over his authority to the devil. He's defeated. He has no authority. The only way he gets to work in your life is if he gets you to bow down and lay down to him and let him use the authority that you have. 
Jesus, verse 3, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him and said, It is written. Everybody say that out loud. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. In a moment of time, the devil said, All this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. What does Jesus say? Verse 8, Jesus answered and said, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written. For it is written. You shall worship the Lord God and him only shall you serve. How does the enemy answer, excuse me, how does Jesus answer the enemy? It is written, the word of God. How are you and I going to exercise authority in our lives every single time? We're going to bring the word of God into the situation. To have the word of God in your situation is to have God in your situation. Oh, come on, say amen to that. <clears throat> to have the word on a matter is to have God on that matter. When you bring his word into your situation by speaking it, the enemy's defenses evaporate. He says it, it is <clears throat> written. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him up on the temple. He says, command the, command, uh, jump off of here. Jump off the top of the temple. Throw yourself down into the midst of the people. And, you know, because the Bible says that he'll give his angels charge over you. And Jesus answered and said, verse 12, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. How did Jesus deal with the devil? He brought the word into the situation. Think about this. The Bible says in John 1 that Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus, who is the very Word of God made flesh, still thought it necessary to bring God's Word into a situation. You are not above that. You are not going to outthink your way out of a problem. When, when problems come, when your kids get sick, when stuff's not working the way it's supposed to, when your relationships are in chaos, when you have a decision to make, when you need to do something in your life and you're moving forward in the things of God, don't be quiet. Speak the word. When the enemy comes against you, don't try to outthink, don't try to outmaneuver him in your head. Get the Bible off the shelf, open it up, find out what God's word says about your life and your situation and speak it. Don't stay quiet. That's where the enemy beats us. That's where we find ourselves losing. That's where things spin out of control is when we just stay silent. Amen. You're not going to out-gymnastics and out-maneuver him in your head. He's been around a lot longer than you. He's defeated. He's disarmed. The best he can do is wrestle, but, you know, he's pretty cunning. He's been around for thousands of years. Right? Bring the word into the situation. Submit to God. Submit your life to the Lord. Whatever you want from me is what I'll give you. Whatever you want for my life, that's what I want too. I'm submitted to you. I'm your child. 
You lead me. You guide me. If I need to change something, show it to me so that I can change. If I need to lay something down in my life, show it to me so I can lay it down. Be, be honest and vulnerable with God. Let him lead you. And then resist the devil. How do I resist the devil? Take the word and put his word in your mouth. I promise you it will work. Now next week we're going to talk about the name of Jesus and we're going to talk about the shed blood of Jesus. We'll wrap up this authority series. Amen? We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.